Cornerstone, how we doing? All right, so today, starting a brand new series, we're calling it Spoiler Alert. And actually what we're doing is we're going through, uh, we're going to do a survey over uh, the book of Revelation. And the reason that we're calling it Spoiler Alert is because Jesus already told us how it ends. That, that in the end, you and I win. And so everything that happens between here and there shouldn't upset us that much because in the end, God says, hey, we win. Have you ever uh, DVD'd like a football game? Like me, you said, hey, I want to watch the Cardinals game and you're getting ready to go home, watch the game, and then someone ruins it for you because they go, well, Cardinals win. You're like, But then you go home and you go, look, I'm, I'm going to watch the game anyways. I'm supposed to see. And as you're watching it, you're going, oh my goodness. We, we just fumbled two times in the last three minutes. I mean, how do, how do we win from here? And, and you start to get a little bit anxious and a little nervous. And then all, you go, but they told me we win in the end. So as bad as it looks, somehow, somehow they pull it out. And in reality, that's exactly what God did for us. That you and I live in a world that if we take a look, goes, hey, wait a minute, how come darkness is advancing? How come, how come evil people are taking ground? How, how come culturally it just feels like we're moving further, further into darkness? And if you're not careful, you and I become fearful and go, this is, this is just bad. There, there's no way this gets pulled out. And then Jesus says, stop fearing. Spoiler alert. We win. We win. It's interesting to me because sometimes I'll run into Christians and go, but I just hate talking about the book of Revelation because it just terrifies me. It's scary. And I, how's that possible? How's that possible? Because the whole point of the book of Revelation, the whole point of the conversation is no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it looks, in the end, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we win in the end. The book was not given to us to scare us. The book was given to us to let us live with confidence in our lives. That the world doesn't dictate the outcome. God does. So we're going to spend the next few weeks just going through the book of Revelation. Now here's the deal. As we were getting ready and setting this, this conversation up, a couple of people said, hey, we're going to take a deep dive into the book of Revelation. So here's the answer. No, we're not. If we took a deep dive in the book of Revelation, we'd be here a year from now, still going through the book of Revelation. What we're going to do is we're going to do a survey of the book of Revelation. We're going to fly over the top, and we're going to look at all the key moments that happen in the book of Revelation. We're going to unpack them together so that hopefully we all come to understand them better, that you and I would be capable when we're done to have a legitimate conversation with somebody to say, oh, no, and I understand that this is next, and Here's a couple verses that go along with it, and, and we would be able to talk about the end times with some level of intelligence. But here's the big win. The big win isn't that you and I know the book of Revelation. The big win is that you and I come to the understanding that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, that you and I live with the imminent return 
The any moment return of Jesus Christ. And here's what scripture says. That when that sinks in, when you start to truly believe that, uh, when you become the teenager whose parents said, hey, I'm coming home at four o'clock and you realize it's 3.30 and you better go clean your room. When you start to realize that at any moment Jesus could come back, you will live better. When you believe that Jesus could come back tomorrow, you'll live better today. And if nothing else happens in this conversation over the next few weeks, if you and I would begin to shift our thinking to going, hey, my Lord, my Savior, at any moment could come back and then I would stand in front of him and give an account for how I've lived. And my desperate hope is that Jesus would find me in that moment being faithful, that I would be living in a way that would make him proud of my life. When that sinks in, you and I live our faith better. That's the reason that we're having the conversation. Okay, so if you noticed when you came in, some of you that uh, we actually handed out note cards. This is fairly rare if you're brand new. Uh, this series is gonna be a little bit more teach, preach, because there's just so much information. There's so many verses we're going through. So we wanted to give you the opportunity to take some notes, put it down. If you came in and did not get one of these cards with the notes, raise your hand, we'll give you one. My guess is at some point, you're gonna talk to someone and go, oh, wait a minute, I remember we talked about that. What were the verses that went along with it? You'll be able to pull the card out, take a look. It'll be right there for you. You won't have to email me, okay? So if you need one of the cards, raise your hand. We'll get one of the cards to you. All right, let's talk for a moment. What is the next big thing? So when you and I look at scripture, uh, what does scripture say the next big event that's gonna take place in our uh, world is? And the answer is simply this. It's, it's an event that we often, whoops. Never mind. There we go. That we often call the rapture. Now, if you go looking for the word rapture in the Bible, you're not going to find the word rapture. This is actually a word that theologians came up with. It's a Latin term, term and it simply means caught up. Because scripture is going to talk about over and over again this idea of Christians being caught up out of this world. And Hence, they came up with the term rapture, caught up together out of the world. And scripture says the next event that's coming is the rapture. Let me give you a couple verses that describe uh, this event for you and me. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 13, and it says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who do not have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, it's talking about the return of Jesus, but here's what's interesting. Isn't it interesting that scripture here, when it talks about this thing that so many of us are terrified of, says those who have fallen asleep in death. Here's why. For you and I who have put our faith in Jesus, dying should not be any more terrifying than going to sleep at night. When you and I go to sleep at night, we close our eyes, we wake up in the morning, and it's a new day. When a Christian faces death, they close their eyes in this world, they open their eyes 
in the next. It is no more terrifying than that. It's why scripture says, I don't want you to be worried about this. I don't want you to grieve like people who don't have the hope that you have as a Christian. But it says, those who have fallen asleep in him will come back uh, in his return. And according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will surely not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with, the, and I want you just to take note of that word, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Remember, the word rapture means caught up. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, let's just process what we just got told, that there's going to be a moment in history which you and I are to anticipate, we're supposed to be waiting for, in which Jesus returns, and in that moment that he returns, he comes to meet us, but he only comes as far as the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first, and let me explain that to you. Scripture is absolutely clear that when someone passes away, when someone dies, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So instantly, our loved ones, if they passed away, are in the presence of Christ. But here's what's not there, their bodies. And one of the promises of scripture is that in eternity, you and I will not just be disembodied spirits, but that we will actually have a physical body, that we'll have this body only remade, perfectly new. So in the rapture, their bodies leave the grave to be reunited with them and made perfect. Now here, here's my best guess. When we're talking being made perfect, it's gonna be a body similar to what Jesus had after the resurrection. We won't grow old, we won't get hungry, we won't get sick because we'll have a perfect body, okay? Here's the cool part. My guess is, if you ask me to guess, we're all gonna be 25. The reason I'm thinking 25 is I don't know about you, but that was probably the, that was probably the peak and then it was from there. Matter of fact, the other day, uh, our adopted daughter from Kenya was here visiting uh, for Christmas. And uh, as she was walking down the hallway, she saw a picture hanging on the wall. And she went to Lisa and said, Mama, who's this a picture of on the wall? And Lisa said, well, that's Papa. And she goes, really? And Lisa goes, well, it's 10 years ago, so he's really different. Hence why I'm looking forward to being 25 again, okay? So perfect body, totally, totally made new, no sickness, no disease. Some of us are really looking forward to that. Here's another passage uh, talking about that same moment. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, talking about the rapture, says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What did we discover? Sleep is a scriptural way of talking about a Christian's death. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, and you ready? There's that word again. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, 
The dead will be raised imperishable, right? So their bodies come up out of the grave and we will be changed. For the perishable, this body that we're in right now that grows old and decay and gets full of arthritis and all those good things, for this perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal body that we have has to become immortal. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory and where, O death, is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Think about what he just said. Look, if you think about the fact that Jesus will come back at any time, and even though you may not feel like you're making a lot of progress, and even though you think you're facing, do not grow weary in doing the right thing because anything you do for God is not in vain. So again, the scripture here talks about the rapture. Let me see if I can kind of put that in a timeline for you and me. Hmm. Okay, there we go. All right. So, if you and I kind of put together a timeline, when you start to read scripture, scripture originally starts out mostly talking about Israel. Matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, Almost the entire Old Testament is, is given over to talking about Israel. Israel were God's people. Then a major event happens that shifts everything. It's the cross. And Jesus in that moment dying for our sins and then he establishes a thing called the church. How many of us in the room right now, you are not Jewish? Okay, you're not Jewish, raise your hand. Okay, so you are thrilled for this moment because as Jesus dies on the cross, he then includes all of us who scripture would call Gentiles and says you now have the privilege of becoming the sons and the daughters of God. This is what the New Testament unlocks and unfolds for us. Scripture then says the next major event, the thing that ends this church period that you and I are in right now, is a thing called the rapture. And the Bible describes it that Jesus comes and meets us in the clouds. He doesn't come to earth in this moment. He comes to the clouds, and then you and I are raptured. We are caught up to meet him in the air. This event, this rapture, then signifies the beginning of what the Bible describes as the tribulation. The tribulation is described in the book of Revelation. There's some other chapters in there, a little bit more that goes on, but the vast, vast majority of the book of Revelation is committed to helping you and I understand and, and see ahead of time what's gonna happen in the tribulation. You and I believe that Jesus comes back before 
uh, the tribulation. It's called being pre-tribulation. That before the tribulation starts, the church, all Christians, are caught up out of this world. So back to your notes real quick. Next to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then also 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the two things you want to write in there is that we're instantaneously changed and that Christians leave their graves. Now, here's what you need to know. When the rapture occurs, when this catching up of the church out of this world occurs, it would seem like that people who didn't know God, right, if all the Christians are caught out of the world at once, that people who didn't know God in that moment would say, well, wait a minute, I heard a Christian tell me about this. I, I thought it was really, really weird at the time. I thought it was kind of like a totally bizarre story. And, and I would have said to them, hey, you know what? Uh, Marvel comics have more credibility than that story that you're telling me, but now it's happened. All the Christians have been caught out of the world. Apparently, my Christian friend, my Christian neighbor, my Christian coworker was right and I better start believing in God because I saw the rapture happen. Here's the deal. I believe the world, even when this event happens, this rapture as we're taken out of the world as Christians, will interpret it differently. They won't interpret it as the rapture as we've described it. Here's why. Because at that time when Christians are taken out of this world, people are gonna say, hey, wait a minute. Christians said that Christians were gonna be cut out of the world. I happen to know that my neighbor was taken and he was a horrible person. Uh, he treated his wife really poorly. He treated his children poorly. He cheated people all his life. He kicked his dog. He was a horrible person. How can that person have been caught up with Christians? What you and I know is, the answer is, that no matter what I've done to my life, and the truth be told, many of us have a whole bunch of chapters in our life that are less than favorable, right? That no matter what I've done, that when I ask Jesus to come into my life, he forgives all of that, right? And so then I'm washed white as snow. So that horrible man, if he's ever asked Jesus into his heart, is a Christian. And even if his life hasn't shown great evidence of it, he would still be caught up in the rapture. The reverse is gonna be true. People are gonna be saying, hey, wait a minute, this couldn't have been the rapture of Christians because I know a pastor. I know a pastor who didn't leave in the rapture. And he's this amazing guy and he's been leading his church for forever and he's taught people how to be great, good and kind people. And I mean, if anybody is a Christian, that pastor is and he didn't go, so this can't be the rapture of Christians. Here's what you need to know. Being a Christian isn't about how many times I've attended church. Being a Christian isn't about whether or not I've been baptized. Being a Christian isn't about whether or not I read my Bible. Being a Christian is about having come to a place in my life where I realize I can't be good enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't be baptized enough. I can't earn my way to heaven. Instead, I need a savior who will come and forgive what I've done that was wrong. And there is a wild difference between, a huge difference between being a Christian and being religious. 
And the world will see highly religious people who have never actually put their faith in Jesus left behind. And they'll say, this can't possibly be the catching away of Christians in that moment. Stop and think about this. Think about the utter confusion and chaos that's going to happen in the world when that event happens. So Christians, Christians are caught up out of this world in an instant. Think about a a manager who's talking to uh, his subordinate who happens to be a Christian. And he says to him, hey, you know what? I need you to go over to GE and I need you to talk to him about the new product that we're pitching right now. And halfway through the dialogue, all of a sudden, and here's what you need to know. You and I will not be wearing Calvin Klein in heaven. No Michael Kor. So all of a sudden the Christian goes, but everything they're wearing on the ground. Another manager going, Jeff, Jeff. Imagine watching TV and the announcer on TV is a Christ follower. And so mid-sentence, off the screen. Hey, better than that, a Christian is driving a car. And the rapture happens. Which is why I tell all, everybody who doesn't know Jesus, don't ever get in a car with a Christian. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. Imagine airlines and you've got a Christian pilot. And think about the chaos. What about a doctor who's mid-operation in surgery? Taken. Imagine the chaos that'll ensue in the world. If that's not enough, the best understanding we have is, is that children who are too young to make a decision for Jesus Christ will most likely also be caught up in this moment. Because in the kindness of God, he'd say, hey, look, you didn't have the ability to choose. I'm not gonna ask you to have to face this. And so out of kindness, I'll take you. But imagine what it would feel like if you're a mother of a three-year-old when the rapture happens. And I believe in that moment, and I'm just gonna say it out loud, I'm guessing now, because scripture surely doesn't tell us for sure, but I'm guessing that the world, instead of seeing that as the catching up of Christians, will instead interpret it as an invasion. They'll say, some power, some force, some alien thing has happened and now they've come and they've taken, they've kidnapped uh, these people out of our world and what if they come back? What what if there's a second round? And I believe that out of fear and panic there'll be a move to say, hey look, there's, there's not a single government on the earth that alone could withstand this. We better rally together in case there's a round two. And I believe that moment, the rapture, will actually be the setup that begins to move the world toward this idea of a one world government, which scripture clearly says will occur during the tribulation, okay? So, rapture at the beginning, tribulation, seven years of just absolute chaos upon the earth. Now, here's what you need to know. Not everybody agrees with what I just said. There are some really good Christians who love the Lord Jesus who actually believe that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. So in other words, you and I as Christians would go through the first three and a half years and then we'd be caught out of the tribulation. There are some Christians who believe that Christians go through all the tribulation and the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. They're wrong but it's okay because they still love Jesus and when we get raptured at the beginning they'll find out they were wrong. No, here's the deal. Even if you believe that, and that's fine. I'm I'm okay if you believe that. 
Even if you believe that Christians leave in the middle or leave at the end, you need to pray that I'm right. Because scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 13 that literally millions of Christians in the tribulation, so in other words, people who do figure out who Jesus is after we leave, will be martyred for having believed in Jesus. You don't wanna be here and you don't want anybody that you care about to be here during the seven year tribulation, okay? Let me give you a couple passages that I think speak clearly to the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture, that the rapture happens before the tribulation ever begins. The first is this. There are some verses that to me sound absolutely clear that you and I are not here. The first one's in 1 Thessalonians chapter one and verse 10. And here's what it says. And to wait for his son from heaven, to wait for the return of Jesus, who he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us, you ready? From the coming wrath. What's the coming wrath? The seven years of the tribulation. And scripture to me seems to be clearly saying, hey, you and I who have our faith in Jesus Christ are rescued from that. We don't have to face that. Here's another passage, it's Revelation chapter three, verse 10. It says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. I won't ask you to go through that because you're one of my children and I'll keep you from that hour of trial. So in my mind, there's passages of scripture that are just clear that you and I aren't here for the tribulation. Here's a second one. Uh, for you to consider. When you begin to read the book of Revelation, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation don't talk about future things yet. The first three chapters are simply introduction. And you may have heard someone talk about the seven churches of Revelation because the first three chapters address these seven churches and say, get ready, I'm gonna tell you what's coming. And in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the Bible uses the term church over and over and over again. Let me, let me read just a couple of them to you. So Revelation uh, chapter one, starting in verse four, it says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And then chapter one, verse 11, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Then a little further down in uh, chapter one, uh, verse 20, it says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And on and on and on in the first three chapters. As a matter of fact, you ready for this? In the first three chapters of Revelation, the tribulation hasn't started yet, the word church is mentioned 19 times. So, John, the author of the book of Revelation, knows the church. 19 times he mentions the church before the tribulation starts. Now, chapter four, starting in verse one, which is the beginning of the tribulation. Right at the beginning, here's what it says, John says. After this, John says, I looked up and there before me a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I had first heard 
speaking to me like a, what's the next word? Trumpet. Well, 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 wait a minute. All the verses we read before that talked about the rapture said, when the rapture occurred, it sounded like a trumpet. John says, at the very beginning, just before the tribulation starts, I was getting this revelation from God. I was here on earth. There was a door opened in heaven. I heard something like a trumpet and it said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me, I was in before the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So think about this moment. John is on the earth. He's talked to the seven churches, 19 times he's talked to them. As he begins to reveal the revelation before the tribulation starts, he says, all of a sudden there was a door opened in heaven. I heard a trumpet. I was caught up. What's the word rapture mean? Caught up. And then I was in heaven and God began to show me the tribulation. I believe that passage in Revelation is a perfect picture of the Christians being caught up into heaven and we will watch the tribulation unfold from there. Okay, so two reasons I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Here's the thing, that's not all of it. I, there's actually seven reasons I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And again, guys, this is a big deal because you don't want to be here uh, when it happens. If you're interested in taking a deeper dive or going after it, I'm going to make that available to you. So you can text the word rapture to 21999. I'll send you the seven reasons that I'm confident that the rapture happens before the tribulation, okay? You can do that. If you're not interested, then you don't have to send it out, okay? All right, so here comes the next question. If that's really the next thing, if the rapture's what's happening next, how close are you and I to the rapture? I mean, when is it gonna happen? Can I, can I put a date on it? And here's the answer, no one knows. No one knows when the rapture is gonna happen. Matter of fact, Jesus, talking about this very topic, said this, but about the day or the hour, ready? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said, I don't even know. The heavenly, God knows, I don't even know. But only the Father, which simply means this. If you run into a Christian author or a Christian teacher who tells you that they know when the rapture is gonna take place, they're wrong. Matter of fact, they say, hey, April 18th, 2022, that's when the rapture happens. Here's what you do if someone tells you that. You go get a calendar. Open it up to April 18th, 2022. Put a big X on that date and go, oh, there's one day Jesus ain't coming back. Because Jesus is gonna go, look, it was a perfectly good day. I was thinking about it, but you ruined it. I promised everybody that no one knew when I was coming back, I can't come back on that day. You just told everybody. But here's something more that you need to know. If there is a man or a woman who tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back, when Jesus said, no one knows when I'm coming back, that person is one of two things. They are either a charlatan, which means they know they're lying, but they're gonna lie anyways. 
or they are just the most arrogant person you've ever met, that they would say, I know something that Jesus doesn't know. Either way, stay away, stay away, stay away from anybody who tries to tell you, I know when Jesus is coming back. It is amazing to me down through the years how many Christians have listened to quote unquote Bible scholars who said, hey, I figured it out and I know exactly when Jesus is coming back and then that date passes, nothing happens and then they go back to that person to listen some more. Guys, if somebody tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, they are absolutely either wrong or they are absolutely arrogant. Stay away, stay away, they're a false teacher, okay? Because Jesus said, no one knows. But here's the thing I will say. I have no idea, I don't know the date when Jesus is coming back, but if you ask me to guess, I'm guessing it's sooner versus later. That it's, that the return of Jesus is what we call eminent, which means it could happen. There's not one Bible prophecy that precedes the return of Jesus in the rapture that has not taken place. And a matter of fact, the thing that's really intriguing, there's actually verses about the tribulation that seem to have unpacked and come alive within our generation. Let, let me give you some examples of that. So, in Revelation uh, chapter 11, it talks about two prophets. And if you're keeping notes right there, it says Revelation chapter 11, just write two prophets next to it. In Revelation chapter 11, it says during the tribulation, there's gonna be two prophets and they're gonna go out and preach to everybody that they need to turn to Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know. These guys are gonna be old school Southern Baptist preachers. They're gonna be hellfire brimstone kind of guys. It's gonna be turn or burn. And the reason that they're gonna be so up in everyone's face and so just direct about it is because they've got seven years to figure it out and then there's no more trying. So they are just right there. But the problem is their boldness absolutely frustrates and irritates the people living during the truth. And they hate their guts for being so bold with the message. And so scripture says that they're gonna try multiple times to kill these guys and God is gonna place their hand, his hand on them and not allow them to be killed. Till eventually, there comes the moment that God withdraws his hand and says, okay, and they will strike down the two prophets and kill them. And they will be so angry, so frustrated at these two men that the Bible says they will leave their bodies laying there on the asphalt for three days so that they can rejoice that the prophets have been killed. But here's the interesting phrase in Revelation chapter 11. It says that every tribe and every nation will look upon their dead bodies. Now think about this for a moment. Go back a hundred years. Go back before satellites. Go back before cable. Go back before television, just 100 years. How would it have been physically possible for the entire world to look upon their dead bodies? And yet you and I living in this generation go, well, it's, it's easy. They'll just turn on CNN. Everybody will be able to see this instantaneously, even as it happens. Think about the incredible wonder that scripture that's been there for 2,000 years that no one could figure out how that was possible in our generation, we go, well, of course. That's absolutely easy 
for that to happen. It should speak to our hearts that we are closer than we may have imagined. Here's another one. Revelation chapter 13 talks about Antichrist. Now here, Antichrist is going to rise during the tribulation. And the reason it calls him Antichrist is because he is anti everything that Jesus was. Jesus was love, this man is hate. Jesus was good, this man is vile. He is literally the opposite of everything that Jesus is. And as he comes to power during the tribulation, he will make a decree that says, no one can buy and no one can sell unless they have my mark, my approval in order to have commerce. Which means if you're a Christian and you refuse to take the mark, then starvation is gonna be highly likely. You're gonna struggle to stay alive and stay fed during the tribulation. Here's what the verse says about Antichrist. It, talking about Antichrist, it, he forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. Uh, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is six, six, six. You always wondered where that came from, right? It's the mark of the beast. Now, here's what's interesting. Bible scholars up until now say, well, you know, I mean, if everybody has to take a mark, maybe, maybe that's a tattoo. So maybe you have to get a tattoo on your hand or you have to get a tattoo on your forehead, the 666, and then you can have commerce and trade. And it may be, right? It may, it may be. We don't know that answer for sure. But stop and think about what's happened within our generation. That you and I are being talked to, or at least to consider, the idea of putting chips inside of our children so that we can find them if they get lost and identify them. Or that we would put chips in so that nobody could do identity theft and take our credit cards. And guys, I get that it has happened. I'm just saying, what does it mean to you that the thing that's described in scripture now becomes so completely possible within our generation? Think about this. It talks about the forehead. And again, I don't know, right? I'm reading between the lines. I'm saying that out loud. But think about retinal scans where you have to lean in and then they scan the retinas so that they identify you. Is it possible that the things we're seeing happen and developed in our generation are actually speaking to scripture that was spoken 2,000 years ago, which leaves you and me to the point that says, there is nothing that withholds, there's nothing that has to happen before all the things that scripture describes happening during the tribulation to happen. The technology is already here. Here's what I can guarantee. I cannot sit here today and go, hey, April 15th, right? I can't, I can't tell you a date. Here's what I can tell you with absolute, absolute certainty. That you and I, this generation, is closer to the return of Jesus than any other generation. I had to go to Bible school for that, so you ought to be thrilled, right? So... You and I are closer than any other generation. And although I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, let that sink in. You and I are closer 
than any other generation of believers to the return of Christ. Is it six hours from now? Is it six days from now? Is it six months, six years, 60 years? I don't know. All I know for certainty is that you and I are closer to the return of Jesus than any other generation. And here's why that knowledge is critical. Because scripture says that when that sinks in, when you and I realize that Jesus any moment could come back and that the very next thing once he takes us to heaven is that we stand in front of him and give an account for how we've lived our lives. Knowing that that could happen at any moment, knowing that Jesus could come tomorrow will change how I live today. Matter of fact, here's what scripture says. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, right? Our bodies will be transformed for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves. They live better if they actually believe that he could come back. They purify themselves just as he is pure. What if, and I can't, I'm going to say it again. I can't make this guarantee. But what if I could tell you today that Jesus is coming back in 90 days? What if I could tell you with absolute certainty, what if I could prove it, that Jesus was coming back in 90 days? Would that change how you live? Would your church attendance all of a sudden get better? Would you move out and stop living with your girlfriend? Are there some habits you'd go, boy, I better deal with that right now because Jesus is coming back in 90 days. Would you spend the next 90 days telling your friends about Jesus? And up until now, you've been silent. If I could guarantee that Jesus was coming back in 90 days, is, is there a list of things that you go, boy, I, I better, I better ship, I better change those. And I'm just, if there's a list, there shouldn't be a list. Because every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ is supposed to live our lives with the knowledge that our Lord and Savior could come back at any moment. And our deepest desire would be when he comes back, he'd find us living the way we ought to live. That he would be absolutely proud of us when he comes back. Would you over the next week just consider and say, if I knew, if I knew that he was coming back in my lifetime, are there things I'd have to change? Are there things I'd want to make right? Are there things I'd want to clean up? And if there's a list, there shouldn't be a list. And would you begin to live in a way that would make him proud when he comes back? Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to you and and we are so thankful for the spoiler. We're so thankful that as we see our world moving deeper into darkness and evil winning over and over again, that you promised us 
we win. We win. We, we don't have to worry about the scoreboard. It doesn't matter how much the clock has ticked down. Or We win. And that we as Christians are able to live in that hope and that confidence and to know we win. God, I, I pray for us that we would be the type of people who would live with the absolute knowledge that you could return at any moment, that we would choose because of that to live our lives in such a way that if you were to come back tomorrow, you would be thrilled with how we were living. God, what if we were a church as, as a whole church that every last one has just said, we're gonna begin to live as if Jesus could come any moment that, that if he were to return in our lifetimes, he would see our church and say, that's exactly what I was hoping. That's exactly what I was hoping the church would do. That they would follow me faithfully, knowing that my return was imminent. God, make us that church. Make us that people. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Lynn. Thanks for being with us. Today, we believe in good news here at Cornerstone that perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus himself is perfect love. And he gave himself for you, for me, and for our neighbors. So we're praying for you. Be praying for each other. If you'd like prayer, you can text prayer to the number on your screen or come on down front and we'll see you next week.